0: Welcome to the sermon webcast of Good News Lutheran Church of Mount Horb, Wisconsin. The following sermon was preached on Sunday, April 7th, 2019, on the basis of Luke 20, verses 9 through 19. Back in 1998, there was a British journalist by the name of Nigel Reynolds, who was given the assignment of interviewing a young, unknown author who had just published her very first book wasn't exactly the kind of high-profile, glamorous assignment that journalists like to get, and yet he was a professional, so he was going to do his best. So he took the copy of the book that he had been given ahead of time, He, he skimmed it over, he wrote down the questions he wanted to ask, met her at a coffee shop to conduct the interview, came back to his office and wrote the story, and then when he was done, he took that copy of that book that he had been given, and without really giving it much thought, he threw it in the trash. Well, it turns out that was a bit of a mistake because that young, unknown author that he was interviewing happened to be named J.K. Rowling, and the book that she had just published was entitled Harry Potter and the Philosopher's Stone. Just 500 of those early editions of that first Harry Potter volume were printed, and so today each one of them is worth about $100,000. But you know, I don't think that's what makes that story about Nigel Reynolds so interesting. Certainly things of greater value have been inadvertently thrown away over the years, No, I I think what makes that story so interesting is that Nigel Reynolds was a journalist. He was an expert. In other words, if anyone was in a position to know the true value of what he was holding in his hands, it was him, and yet rather than realizing that it was treasure, he instead threw it in the trash. Do you ever stop and wonder whether that same sort of thing could happen to you? I'm guessing we could all think of things that we've thrown away over the years, only to find out much later on that they turned out to be really valuable. But that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about something much bigger and much more important than that. See, each and every day we make countless little decisions in our lives that indicate what does have value and what does not have value in our lives. What's treasure and what's trash. And if something has value, we... Give it time and attention and focus. We invest mental energy and even money. We schedule around it and we sacrifice for it. And if something doesn't have value, then, yeah, maybe we end up throwing it away. But probably more likely, we end up simply ignoring it. But what if we're wrong? What if we are spending our lives chasing after and pursuing, trying to hunt down all the wrong things, and meanwhile... Things that really do have true, almost indescribable value are right under our noses, and we don't even realize it. In other words, what if what seems like treasure is really trash, and what seems like trash is really treasure? Well, thankfully, we don't have to wait and find out years later when it's already too late. Instead, Jesus tells us a story in which he helps open our eyes open our eyes to see things not as we would naturally see them, not as the world around us would see them, but instead to see them as God himself sees them. He opens our eyes so that we can know, beyond any shadow of a doubt, what has true value in our lives. And as we look at these verses from Luke chapter 20 this morning, here's what we're going to see. That the best place to find treasure is actually in the trash. The details of this parable Jesus told are not difficult to make sense of. And yet the most important thing to help us understand this parable is to understand who it was for. Not who it was about, but who it was for. You see, it was about the religious leaders in Jesus' day, the so-called experts, but it was for someone else. In fact, it was for everyone else. It was for the people who were going to watch what those religious experts were about to do. And the reason that's important is because as Jesus describes what those religious experts are about to do, he doesn't describe those things to somehow wake them up and and get them to come to their senses so that they don't end up doing what Jesus says they're going to do. No, instead, he simply wants everyone else to know what's going to happen before it actually does. So Jesus tells this story about a landowner who builds himself a vineyard and then rents it out to tenants. On three separate occasions, he sends servants to bring back some of what the vineyard has produced. But three separate times, those tenants instead treat the servants harshly and send them back empty-handed. Finally, the owner sends his own son, but him they treat worst of all. They take him outside of the vineyard and they put him to death. Like I said, the details aren't terribly difficult to make sense of. In this parable, the owner of the vineyard is God. The tenants who are entrusted with caring for the vineyard are the religious leaders in Jesus' day. The servants that the owner sends are the prophets that God continually sent to his people in the Old Testament. And then finally, the son of the landowner is God's son, Jesus. So Jesus is saying that the same religious experts in Israel who had continually mistreated God's messengers over the the years would eventually also kill God's own son. And again, Jesus doesn't say this to sort of wake them up or change their minds. No, this is going to happen. And by this point, we already know why it's going to happen. See, these religious leaders have had enough time to sort of look Jesus over, figure out what he's all about. And they had had enough time to decide for themselves that Jesus wasn't worth a whole lot. See, they had always figured that when the Messiah would come, he would, first of all, encourage morality. In other words, he would reward people who were doing good and he would punish people who were doing bad. But instead, Jesus was constantly embracing the people who seemed to be doing all the bad and scolding the people who seemed to be doing all the good. The religious leaders also assumed that when the Messiah would come, he would bring prosperity. He would overthrow the oppressive Roman government and once again establish a free, independent, glorious nation in Israel. But Jesus, on the other hand, was constantly talking about establishing a very different kind of kingdom, a spiritual one, and he was constantly talking about submitting to the existing authorities. Finally, they assumed that the Messiah would encourage upward mobility, that people with drive and determination and work ethic and ambition would advance in the kingdom of the Messiah just like they would in any other group or organization. And yet Jesus was constantly talking about how true greatness was found in humility, service, and sacrifice to others. And so, yes, by by this point, we already know that this is going to happen, and we know why it's going to happen. In fact, it's interesting, when Jesus finishes telling the parable, the people who are listening to it object. They say, God forbid, this should never, ever happen, and yet Jesus insists. He says, then what is the meaning of that which is written? The stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. In other words, not only is this going to happen, but this is how it was foretold it would happen. The very stone that God hand-selects to be the cornerstone of the church that he's going to build, the builders, the experts, take one look at it and reject it. They conclude that it belongs in the discard pile. In other words, even though it's treasure, they conclude that it's trash. So if you're who this parable is for, and you are, What do you do? It's not terribly surprising that over the years, the expert opinions about what's trash and what's treasure haven't really changed a whole lot. In fact, a couple of weeks ago, I saw that there was an article in the New York Times that was written by some philosophy professor out in California, and he sort of posed this age-old problem of how a good and wise and all-powerful God could possibly allow so much evil in the world. The experts would continue to tell us that if something is treasure, it ought to bring prosperity. And yet so often, Jesus says just the opposite. He promises no such thing. In fact, he promises that he is going to do his very best. He is going to work his greatest and best blessings in our lives, often through what appears to be worst. A couple of weeks ago, I happened to also hear... One of the candidates who is going to be running for president in 2020 interviewed, and in that interview they were asked about the value that religion has in our country today. And the candidate said that when they measure the value of religion in a person's life, it's not so much about what they believe or don't believe. Instead, they measure that value in terms of how they treat other people. It's no so that the experts continue to think that if something is treasure, it's going to encourage, it's going to foster morality. And yet, Jesus says that his true value in our world is not that he encourages or inspires more goodness in our world. Instead, Jesus' true value in our world is that he has paid for all of the evil in our world. Really, the list could go on and on. We're told that if something is treasure, it ought to grab our attention and keep our attention up. It ought to be exciting and entertaining the way that our favorite sports program is or the, the way that our favorite Netflix show to binge watch is. We're taught that if something is treasure, we ought to be able to measure the difference that it makes in our world and the difference that it makes in our lives. We're told that if something is treasure, it ought to earn us respect and recognition from other people. If something is treasure, then the best and the brightest and the most influential people in our world ought to endorse it and get behind it. And yet, I don't know if you're aware of this, but Christianity isn't really any of those things. Based on the standards that the so-called experts continue to use to determine whether or not something is trash or treasure, Christianity falls short on just about every count. To the so-called experts, the thing that Jesus came to bring and the very things that Jesus stands for are often perceived as nothing more than trash worthy of the discard pile. And you think that maybe, just maybe, it's possible that their opinion also becomes ours. You know, in a certain sense, we don't even really need to ask. I mean, I'm guessing if if I did ask you what you considered to be the true and most important treasure in your life, we we could all give the right answer. But in a very real way, we don't need to give that answer because we've already put that answer on tape, so to speak. In other words, the evidence is already in, just based on how we live our everyday lives. And if we were to take that tape and rewind that tape and play back that tape, Is it fair to say that you would see on your tape the very same thing that I see on mine? That so often the things that get our attention, our focus, and our energy, the things that we are most eager to spend on and sacrifice for and schedule around are the things that make our lives better in visible, measurable ways. That make us feel like we're good, moral people. That grab and keep our attention. That earn us recognition and respect from others. And in the meantime... The thing that doesn't do any of those things sort of ends up forgotten, left over on the sidelines in the discard pile. So the big question that this parable then begs us to ask is, how do we keep that from happening? How do you really realize that something is a treasure when based on all outward appearances and based on what the experts would say, it looks like trash? Sort of the nature of the dilemma, isn't it? In fact, one can hardly blame Nigel Reynolds for taking that first edition Harry Potter book and throwing it out. It really didn't seem like much. In fact, one thing that's interesting about that first edition is that there were actually a number of mistakes and typos in those early copies. There was even one right on the cover of the book. And in fact, speaking of covers, on on the art that was on the cover, there was this strange-looking wizard that was included in the artwork, even though that wizard was never really part of the story at all. And so when something looks a little bit like trash, you can hardly blame someone for treating it that way. So how do we keep that from happening with Jesus? Well, again, the key to understanding this parable is to understand who it was for. And yes, on the one hand, it was for the people who originally heard it straight from Jesus' lips that day. But it was also for everyone who would ever read what the gospel writer Luke would eventually write down. And what's truly interesting is that by the time Luke would write down his book, or anyone would read it, something very important about the details of this parable would have changed. See, when Jesus told this parable, he was talking about events that were still in the future. The tenants would kill the landlord's son. The religious experts would take Jesus outside the city and put him to death. The builders would toss Jesus right in the discard pile. And God would take that discarded stone, And make it the cornerstone on which his church was built. All of that was in the future. But by the time Luke wrote any of it down or anyone read about it, all of those things were no longer in the future. Now all of those things are in the past. And yes, those religious experts, they did exactly what Jesus said they were going to do. And yes, God responded by doing exactly what he said he was going to do. He picked up that discarded stone. He laid it down in the bedrock exactly where he wanted it. And around that cornerstone, he built a church. And the way that that happened is with one single event that God raised Jesus from the dead. In that one event, God gave indisputable proof of the true value of what Jesus is worth. See, the experts may continue to look with disdain on the fact that good people would be scolded and bad people would be embraced. But by Jesus' death and resurrection, God has proven that he didn't need to establish one more religion where good people are rewarded and evil people punished. Instead, he established a religion where even the worst of people, where all people, could be offered a free spot in eternity in heaven. Why? Because the good that is required to get in has already been supplied by Jesus, and the bad that would keep someone out has already been paid for by Jesus. The experts may continue to turn up their noses on the fact that a good God could possibly allow so much evil in our world, but by Jesus' death and resurrection, God has proven that he can accomplish more with all the world's evil than we would ever be able to accomplish with all of the world's imagined good the experts may continue to scoff at the idea that true greatness is found in humility and service and sacrifice to others, but by Jesus' death and resurrection, God has proven otherwise. All of those ambitious, driven, powerful men whose stories intersect with Jesus' story, well, their names have been reduced to nothing more than footnotes alongside the name whose greatness has far exceeded theirs. See, the experts can say all they want, but God has given us indisputable proof of the real value of Jesus in one undeniable, irreversible fact, his resurrection from the dead. And unless someone can go back in time and get his body back in that box, there's absolutely no disputing it. Jesus and everything that he stands for is treasure. And friends, that's how we keep what happened to them from happening to us. We don't do it at all Instead, God has already done it. We are witnesses of it. In fact, come to think of it, there's something kind of nice about the fact that sometimes people take things that are really, really valuable and they throw them away. And it's that sometimes people might be looking through the trash and suddenly they discover a treasure. In fact, you could go home today and do a quick Google search to find out about some of the famous discoveries that people have found as they've rummaged around in the trash. Long lost works of art. Winning lottery tickets that were never cashed in. In fact, an early copy of the Declaration of Independence was discovered in someone's trash. Things that are worth millions and millions of dollars, and they didn't need to be bought. They didn't need to be bid on. They didn't need to be fought over. Why? Because they were just sitting there for the taking. Sitting there in the trash. Friends, in the very same way, there's a certain beauty in the fact that the stone that God chose to build his church around is the one that the experts have always and will always reject and discard. And that beauty is that when you make that stone, when you make Jesus the treasure that it deserves to be, you will never have to stand in line. You will never have to fight anyone else to get it. You will never have to worry about whether you can afford it or whether they'll run out before you have yours. No one said the best place to find treasure is in the trash. And God has proven that Jesus is, in fact, our priceless treasure. So often he ends up put in the trash. You, on the other hand, will be able to have as much of that treasure as you could possibly want. Amen. Thank you for listening. For more information about Good News Lutheran Church, visit www.goodnewslc.org.